we have the podcast is recording i guess you guys are on facebook some of you are on the webinar very good uh just first and foremost i want to say thank you guys for for jumping on i know there's been quite a few uh live broadcasts today so my heart was pleased to see so many of our brothers and sisters getting it in as far as studying the bible the preaching of the word uh, different things of that nature so that, that was really 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 good um so we're about to study and i realized that i'm not smart enough or intelligent enough to interesting all right yvette you said it's tiny are you saying my head is tiny or are you saying the the screen is tiny which one are you saying all right all right so we're going to be studying tonight come study with me the bible okay hold on hold on i want to make sure i'm getting everybody's statements last time i ah uh, yes yes my box is small all right very good very good all right we're gonna change that in a moment and before we get started we're gonna have a word of prayer yes i will make it larger in a moment we're gonna have a word of prayer and we're gonna ask god to be our teacher this evening uh, i have basic things to share but i think you know and especially in this time where people are getting overexcited and uh, when i say overexcited there's an anxiety that's building even amongst the brothers and sisters in christ because we are not anchored ourselves in the word so we're we're becoming agitated and afraid and or is this the end and all that and it's good to be aware and alert, but my friends, I believe the anxiety is going to pass. And when that anxiety passes, many of us who were anxious in this time will go back to doing the normal things because we have not found ourselves anchored. So my prayer is that we anchor ourselves in God's word in the study of inspiration. So before we begin, let's just start with a word of prayer and then we will dig deep into the word of God. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. As we're about to open our Bibles, we pray for wisdom that is beyond our normality. We pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we pray, Lord, that the blood of Jesus Christ covers us, Lord, for there is no good thing that we have to offer. So we cling heavily to your blood, into your sacrifice for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. All right, friends. So we're about to study. And you, if you know me at all, I love studying the Bible. I love digging into the word. I love pulling things out. And from what I have discovered over time is that a systematic study of the Bible is often neglected. All right. A systematic study of the Bible is often neglected. And because it's neglected, we we have assumptions. And so what I want to do is I want to avoid the assumptions. And before we begin to dig in the prophecy, I want to make sure that we are clear when it comes to how to study. Like, how do we dig deep? How do we better understand God's word? OK, does that make sense, everybody? Because last time we came together, we went over at least five principles of of how we should approach scripture, how we should study. And I'm gonna review those five because they are eternally important. 
And then we're going to build on the last six for today. And then I have a special guest coming tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss miss the my friend that's going to be joining us and digging into the word of God. So I'm going to encourage you as we're studying, take notes, prayerfully apply. You know, many people have a lot of information, but they don't prayerfully apply. And when they don't apply it, it doesn't have the same power. And so when I'm sharing these principles with you, take them back with you in your personal life. Make an application so that you can be stronger and more clear in your personal walk with God. So before I get to that point, I want to ask you a question and you can put it in the chat box or in the in the stream uh, that's below. Uh, my question to you is. When you are studying the Bible, what do you find to be the most difficult thing in your study? Like, is it the time that you're studying? Is it the topic that you're studying um, or what topic is difficult for you to understand? I would like to kind of kind of see a little bit uh, from your perspective of how and what is your are your challenges in Bible study. I want to make sure that I can to speak to some of those things. So if you have something to store it in the chat and I will take a look at it very quickly before we go on or you put it in the live stream that's below. Just throw it in there. Tell me exactly, you know, maybe some of the challenges that you may you may have in Bible study. All right. All right. Okay. Good. Good. Okay, very good, my friends. Well, we're going to be covering quite a few of these things as we go along. So last time we were together, we began to look at how to study the Bible. And I'm going to share my screen with you. Uh, let's see here. Share my screen. I'm going to share my screen with you. It's going to be the second screen here. And we're going to kind of just kind of dig deep into our study today. So remember the text I shared with you yesterday? And this text in particular was from Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6. Yes, prophecy, no doubt. We're definitely going to be covering that. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6. The Bible says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, and out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So we, we are using that text as our theme because we know that knowledge and wisdom does not come from us. It comes from God. Knowledge and wisdom comes from the most high. So we're not trusting to ourselves. We're not trusting to our intellect. We're not trusting to our experience. We're trusting to the one that is the originator of all wisdom, of all knowledge, of all understanding. We want to make that make sure that point is extremely clear, my friends, because if we don't make that point clear, we're going to treat this book like any other book. And we don't want to do that. The next point that I wanted to make sure we review, because, again, it is powerful when practically applied. Notice this. This is from the book Education. We, we went over this last time. The book edu Education says the creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. This word imparts power, it begets life. 
Every command is a promise accepted by the will, received into the soul. It brings with it the life of the infinite one. It transforms the nature and recreates the soul in the image of God. And so the last time we were together, we, we made sure we highlighted this idea because we're not interested in studying the Bible for information purposes. We want information and empowerment. We want information and transformation. We're not interested in having an apologetic to beat someone over the head to make them believe what I believe. Because at the end of the day, Bible study is about fellowship. Bible study is about sacred union with God. And that sacred union creates in us what we don't naturally have of ourselves. I hope that, I hope that point is clear. And then we, we went on to state this idea in education, page 126. The life thus imparted is in like manner sustained by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall man live. So not only, my friends, are we empowered when we study the word of God, but we are kept by that word. We are kept by the, the wonder-working creative energy of the word of God. So for a moment, I want you to think with me and want to go back to this idea. Do you, do you remember, do you remember when, um, let me go back here real quick. Do you remember? Come out of there. Stop sharing. There we go. Do you guys remember the story of Jesus walking on water? And when he's walking on water, Peter sees Jesus walking on water. And Jesus speaks to Peter and tells him to come. And when he tells him to come and he's walking on that water, my friends, he is kept, he is kept by that word, but, and not sinking in the midst of that storm. And so this is to be our experience when we are studying the word of God. This word is to sustain us. Peter had no natural ability to keep himself from sinking when the storms came. Peter had no natural ability. He didn't have an unsinkableness to himself when the storms of life surrounded him. But because he was coming based on the word and because he had his eyes fixed on the word made flesh, he was able to maintain his walk with God in the midst of that storm. And Peter's only downfall is when he took his eyes away from Jesus and began to focus his eyes on the storm. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so, so it is in this time. There are many of us that are looking at the storm of Corona or the storm of our finances or the storm of our children or the storm of our spouses. But the reality is my friends that the storm is not our focus. The focus is the word of God that is able to keep us in the midst of a storm. I hope you're paying attention to the idea. And I want you to make sure you keep this in mind for the purpose of Bible study is to keep us when we cannot keep ourselves. Now, let's go a little bit further. I want to go back. We're still reviewing before we get to the new the new information. So I'm going to go back and share share my screen here. Now, when we're looking at this. Notice what it says in the yellow. Uh, in the, in, okay. And notice what it says in the yellow here. 
It says the mind, the soul is built up on what it feeds, right? It's built up on what it is beholding. So what are you feeding your mind? What are you resting your mind upon? What are you beholding? What are you looking at? It is within the power of everyone to choose the topics that shall occupy the thoughts and shape the character. Of every human being privileged with access to the scripture, God says, I have written to him the great things of my law. Call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. All right. So to me, that makes a lot of sense. To me, what I feed my mind upon, what I behold, what I'm looking at, what I'm, what I'm watching gives me strength or, build, or tears me down. And oftentimes we don't know what is building us up or taking us down until the crisis presents itself, until a trial presents itself. We're often not sure what is building us. But my friends, if the word of God is your constant study, if the word of God is your constant diet, then there's no question that when the storm presents itself, you and I will find ourselves safe in the midst of the storm. Now, there are several points in the same quotation, in the same passage that I want you to pay attention to. It says, with the word of God in his hands, every human being, wherever his lot in life may be cast, may have such companionship as he shall choose. In his pages, he may hold converse with the noblest and best of the human race. He may listen to the voice of the eternal as he speaks with men, as he studies and meditates on the themes into which the angels desire to look, he may have their companionship. He may follow the steps of the heavenly teacher, listen to his words as when he taught on mountain and plain and sea, he may dwell in this world in the atmosphere of heaven, imparting to earth sorrowing and tempted one's thoughts of hope and longings for holiness himself him coming closer is still closer into the fellowship with the unseen. So I listed them out here. There are eight of these powerful points. And one I love more than anything else is this idea that we're having this spoken fellowship and communion with the Most High as we are in study. And this is a key point that I want you to continue to keep in mind. I want you to continue to have in your heart and in your soul that these points resonate in your being, that this is not an ordinary interaction. This is an interaction with the eternal one, with God himself. But let's go a little bit further. Notice this. And again, this is all from the book Education, page 127. It says, like him of old, who walk with God, drawing nearer and nearer to the threshold of the eternal. Let me move this so you can see it of the eternal world until the portals shall open and he shall enter in. Now, my friends, this is so powerful because when he opens the, the portals to the eternal world and he enters in, what, is he, what does he do? He shall find himself no stranger. The voices that will greet him are the voices of the holy ones who unseen were on earth, his companions, voices that were here, he learned to distinguish and to love. So when somebody says to you, my friends, um, that you can't hear God's voice, that's, that's, that's not true. You see, in this present world, Isaiah 26, 3 says, you shall hear a voice behind you say, this is the way, 
walk ye in it and you will hear this still small voice and when you get to heaven and the doors open and you hear that voice my friends it won't be like you're a stranger you would have heard that voice before there would have been fellowship with heaven while you were here on planet earth but notice it says he who through the word of god has lived in fellowship with heaven will find himself at home in heaven's companionship now this is all a mindset my friends this is this is a mindset of when you're entering into study when you're about to enter into fellowship with god we're about to open our bibles we are in communion with heaven that is a reality that is a fact that is not guesswork that is a fact my friends and so as i'm thinking about this and and stay with me on this point as i'm thinking about this my mind goes to the idea <laughs> where while I'm in my office, while I'm having my devotional time, while I'm in prayer, while I'm in fellowship with God, I am not here alone. Oftentimes, my friends, I, I tell you the truth, oftentimes in this world, it will feel like we are alone. It will feel like people are, are against us. We will feel isolated. You know, we have all this, 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 uh, this, this idea that, you know, God made me and he kind of left me here. I'm going on. No, my friends, we're not alone. We are, we are in this sweet fellowship of God. And God desperately wants us to have this fellowship with him. More than just information about end times, my friends. End times in context with him makes a lot of sense. End times without Jesus only causes a mental crisis, my friends. Fellowship. I'm going to emphasize it. You're going to hear me repeat it over and over again. Fellowship with the Most High is the most important thing that we can do. It is the most important action that we can take. It is the most important preparation that we can have is fellowship with the Most High. But let's go a little bit further. Notice this. I'm carrying on. We talked about systematic study. We talked about it's methodical learning, orderly revision, regular training, right? We, we, we talked about organized cramming or efficient reading. You know, we, we've talked about all these different things that are part of our, our process of studying the word of God. So we're, we're, we're simply not entering into this and casually reading, but there is a process, there is a system, there is a plan. And we begin to talk about five principles. And we're going to go over these principles very, very fast, these first five, and because we have six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven to do. And last time we were here for an hour and a half. So let's let's move through these first five very quickly. The first principle that we want to bring out is appreciate the teachings of God's word. That's the first thing. We have to appreciate the teaching of God's word. Now, if we don't appreciate that teaching, my friend, if we don't appreciate that teaching, what will end up happening is the word of God will be clear. The truth will be spoken to our hearts. And in, in our rebellion, my friends, we will miss out on what heaven desires to give us. So we must appreciate the teachings of God's word. And notice what this says. It says the Bible contains, the Bible contains all the principles that men need to understand in order to be fitted for this life and for the life to come. And these principles may be understood by all. Notice it says by all, not by few, not by some, not by the pastor alone, not by your favorite preacher, but by all. And then it says no one 
with a spirit to appreciate its teaching can read a single passage from the Bible without gaining some gaining from it some helpful thought. Do you see that? So I have to appreciate the teachings of the word of God. In my approach of appreciation comes my ability to understand. With a lack of appreciation comes the reality that it could be plain as day and I'll never get it. Hmm? So I must, number one, have a spirit to appreciate the teachings of God. Joel 23, 12 says, I have esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. More than my necessary food. More than the food that I put in my belly. I'm quite sure you guys ate at least twice today. Some of you may have been fasting because you've been studying the word of God. That's fine. But I'm telling you, my friends, we appreciate the the the, the physical food. We appreciate the, the 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 tangible food we put in our mouths. A whole day is wrapped around the food that we eat. But let's go a little bit further. Notice this. Point number two. Point number two. We must research diligently. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved in 2 Timothy 5, 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2 verse 15. Study, dig deep, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. And then it says, rightly dividing the word of truth. So number one, appreciate the teachings of the word of God. Number two, research diligently. Notice what this says. But the most valuable teaching of the Bible is not to be gained by occasional or disconnected study. Its great system of truth is not so presented as to be discerned by the hasty or careless reader. Notice, not by occasional or disconnected study, but there must be a consistency. You must have an appropriate time where you set aside to study your Bible. Don't skip days. Don't skip weeks. Don't just wait for the weekend to study. Don't wait for a crisis to come and then you study. You study and you set aside time every day to study and block off all distractions, all distractions. Block them all off because it is imperative that you take the time to study and you do it diligently. I, t I, tell, I say this principle all the time um, when I'm talking about uh, keeping God's commandments, right? There's an instruction there that you hearken unto his instruction diligently. And when I was a child, my dad told me to wash dishes. I don't know. Maybe you wash dishes in your life. I've washed dishes and my hands are nice and, and supple even now, you know? So I would wash dishes. And one time I washed dishes and I didn't do it diligently. I wasn't thorough. And my dad came in, he found a fork and he, he picked up that fork. And when he picked up that fork, he noticed that something inside that fork was hardened. There was some food in the crevices of that fork. And I had been the one to wash those dishes. And when he saw that there was something hardened in the fork, he told me to Andre, come here. Well, I came to him and he said, Andre, I want you to take every dish out of the cabinet and I want you to wash every dish again. I want you to take every fork and every spoon and every knife. I want you to take it out and I want you to wash everything again. And I want you to make sure that there is no crusted crustacean, no dried up watermarks on the dishes. 
Now, my friends, let me tell you something. You know, when I, when I washed dishes that again that time, do you know I hearkened diligently? Do you know I paid attention to the details? When I, I did not skip over anything. I didn't see anything as inconsequential because I never wanted to wash every dish in the cupboard ever again. You follow what I'm saying? And so the principle for point number two is research diligently. Don't do a half-baked job when you're studying the word of God. Don't leave it to someone else. And, you know, one of the ways, and I didn't talk about this last time, but, but one of the reasons why we don't research diligently is because we have been given everything so easily. And so when you're watching TV, it's a stimulus, right? When you're, when you're engaged in watching movies, it's a stimulus. So you don't have to do anything. All you're doing is just receiving. But the Bible gives you what you put in and more. So when you research, you do your homework. You put your time in. You don't, you don't just dilly-dally. You don't just read the verse and then skip on. You don't just assume what the verse says. You do your homework. You research diligently. You look at the context. You look at the application. You do your homework. And you do it well. All right? And I'm saying this because there are so many of us who have been very slipshod in our study and in the application of Bible prophecy and have not understood the proper way of doing it. And we come up with all sorts of stuff. And I want to make sure that as students of the word of God, we don't do that. So point number three, and again, this is just review. Point number three, we want to exert continuous effort. What does that mean? That means you, when it gets hard, you don't stop. When you get a little bit tired, you don't stop. In fact, this is what I this is what I suggest. When you start studying and your brain starts getting a little cloudy and a little tired, get up, go outside, do some breathing exercises, do some push-ups, get your blood circulation back up, but don't stop studying. You're about to have a breakthrough, and many have just given up. In fact, this is another thing. You know, we have all these Bible study guides and we read them and we just go through it, and because we understood it when we went through, we think we understand it. But the reality is we're all going to be tested on a personal level very soon. And when that personal test comes to us, my friends, when we're tested on a personal level and we're going to be challenged to say, why do you believe that? You can't say my pastor said, you can't say brother Andre said, you can't say my favorite preacher said, you can't say, oh, wait here, let me go find my Bible study guide. You can't do that. You got to take the word. You got to own the word. You got to have it hidden in your heart. So when the challenges come and present themselves, you are ready to give an answer to everyone that asks of you of the reason of the hope that is in you. And you're answering with meekness and with fear. When I say fear, I mean reverence for God. But we are, we've been spoon fed. And because we've been spoon fed, it is easy for us to assume that we know but if you can't teach it, you don't know it. Can I say it again? I'll say it again. If you cannot teach it, you do not know it. And so one of the things that I used to do, now I, I, I can teach on the, you know, on screens and TV and preach or whatever. But before that, before there was human beings, I had a stuffed gorilla. <laughs> True story. I had a stuffed gorilla and I would take what I was thinking I understood and I would teach my stuffed gorilla. And I would go through and express and and, and speak out what I thought I understood. And many of us, because we're not speaking out, because we're not communicating what we think we know, when it, when it comes time to express it, we really can't do it. And that means we really don't know it. So I'm telling you, my friends, when you begin to understand something, when you think you understand it, tell somebody. Tell somebody. 
Even if it's just Jesus loves me, open your mouth and say it. Why does Jesus love you? Say it. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Why are you glad that Jesus loves you? What is it that, that tells you that Jesus loves you? You need to be able to say it, express it. Upon expression, it indelibly impresses upon the mind the deeper truths that are there. So don't give up when you, when you start studying. When you start studying, you get tired, take a break, come back to it, keep pushing, exert continuous effort. Let's go a little bit further. Notice what this says. Again, we're just in review. It says many of the, its treasures lie far beneath the surface and can be obtained and can be gained and can be obtained only by diligent research and continuous effort. The truths that go to make up the great whole, the truths that go up to make up the great whole must be searched out and gathered up here a little and there a little. So they, they, they are far beneath the surface. So what you think you know, you don't know. Every time we approach the scripture, always approach it as a baby, as a child. Never assume you know anything about the Bible. Never assume that you know everything or anything about Jesus. Always approach the scriptures as if you're approaching the most high and you don't know anything in comparison to the infinite one when you're approaching inspiration. Exert continuous effort. Research diligently. Continuous means it's ongoing, nonstop. Now, again, this is not, this is just another way of using the idea of continuous. The reason why you memorize scripture is so that when you don't have a physical book, you still can go over the scriptures while you're doing your daily tasks. The word of God is still brewing in your spirit. You follow what I'm saying? The more you have the word of God in your mind and in your heart, and that thought becomes your thought, that's, the, that's when the power of God becomes to become manifest. And when temptation comes, you have Have scripture to give right back because a part of you is something that you're doing continue garden while you're in the field while you're on the job that word is finding its place it's finding its its resonance inside of you but let's go a little bit further i want to take it i want to take it a little bit further notice this this is number four we went over this last time but number four is compare scripture with scripture compare scripture with scripture take a take a take a piece from over here each you know, it's funny. I'm actually working on a study right now where I'm taking the parables and I'm each parable unlocks another parable and it unlocks another parable. Each prophecy unlocks another prophecy. Compare scripture with scripture. Don't take one verse and think that one verse is the end all and be all. That's not how the Bible works. It works as a continuous whole. Notice this. The Bible is its own expositor. One passage will prove to be a key that will unlock other passages. And in this way, light will be shed upon the, what's it say? Hidden meaning of the word. By comparing different texts, treating on the same subject, viewing their bearing on every side, the true meaning of the scriptures will be made evident. That means you don't have to guess. That means it will be clear. That means it will be very, very, very prominent in your mind. So that but what you have to do, though, you have to take all the bearings of the scripture on every side before you come up with a conclusion. And sometimes we're impatient 
And when we're impatient, we jump to a conclusion and we come to a misunderstanding and a misapplication of the word of God. So we want to avoid that. We want to make sure that we are diligent. And notice what this says. It says, in a daily study, in, sorry, in daily study, the verse by verse method is often most helpful. Let the student take one verse. How many verses? One verse and concentrate the mind on ascertaining the thought that God has put into that verse for him and then dwell upon the thought until it becomes his own. So what's the idea? The idea is I take one verse and I think about the verse and I'm not thinking about the verse in terms of an argument. I'm not thinking about the verse in terms of proving something. I'm thinking about the verse in terms of how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my life? How does this apply to the plan of salvation? How does this apply to, to, to me being a good witness? When I take the verse and ascertain the verse and understand the verse in light of that, that verse becomes a part of who I am. And now I can live a life of power and clarity and purpose, right? One passage thus study until its significance is clear is of more value than the perusal of what? Many chapters with no definite purpose in view and no positive instruction gained. So it's, in other words, there are people that read the Bible through once in a year or twice in a year, three times in a year, once in a month, and they read through and they're like, that's their righteous badge. Look, reading it through without knowing how to apply it does nothing for you. Reading it through without knowing how to apply it does nothing for you. Now, I'm not saying don't read it through. I'm saying yeah, read it through, but you get way more value when you take one passage and you study it and you go through it and you marinate on it and you, you masticate it and you chew it and you get every nutrient you can out of that passage. That's when you have life in your Bible study. That's when you have life. But let's go a little bit further. I want to. This is point number five that we're going to now. Again, this is all review. Point number five. Point number five is pray for understanding and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pray for understanding and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason why this is important, because there are some of us. And again, this is the this is the pride of the human heart. So stay with me on this. There are some of us who know so much like we have so much information. We've been in a church for 30, 40, 50 years. So we don't have to be as diligent in our prayer to understand because we already understand. But my friends, no. Daniel chapter nine, even Daniel himself was a student in prayer and of scripture. He did not trust to his own being. He did not trust to his own intelligence. He said, Father, show me, help me to better understand your word. Are you following my friends? Are you following? Even Daniel the prophet was one that prayed for the gift of understanding. And we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, again, we won't read all the passages because we did this last time, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Who can understand the heart of God save the spirit of God? And that spirit then reveals it to man, but man can't understand of his natural self. So please, my friends, approach scripture with humility approach scripture as if you're entering into the mind of god and the mind of god is so much so so far superior to our own minds it i, I mean sometimes i just lose I lose words 
sometimes words won't even be able to express to you what the spirit impresses upon your minds. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. No, the Holy Spirit spoke to you and you're like, you can't express it. There are no verbal expressions to, to explain what the spirit just said. And when you try to say it in words, it, it, it's like it pales in comparison. And so it is, point number five, we need to pray. Pray for understanding. Pray for the gift of the spirit. And in so doing, we find strength and wisdom to carry us on our way. Notice what this says. And I'm going to notice what this says here. The Bible should never be studied without prayer. The Holy Spirit alone. Now, alone means alone, that there's no one else. The Holy Spirit alone can cause us to feel the importance of those things easy to be understood or prevent us from resting truths difficult of comprehension. It is the office of the holy angels, heavenly angels, to prepare the heart so to comprehend God's word that we, may, we shall be charmed with its beauty admonished by its warnings or animated and strengthened by its promises. Let me read that again. It is the office of heavenly angels. What are the, what's the office? What are they to do? To prepare the heart so to comprehend God's word. So the angels are to help us prepare our hearts to receive God's word. That we may be, what's it say? Charmed by its beauty admonished by its warnings. Pause. Now, what does it mean to be admonished? Sometimes, my friend, the, when the word of God comes, it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it's going to cut across our habits. Sometimes it's going to cut across our likings and it's going to admonish us. It's going to warn us. It's going to tell us you're going the wrong way. Stop. Don't go any further. And you're going to be like, but I like it, but I like her, but I like him. But I like this. And the word of God is going to give a warning. And if your heart is not prepared, you're going to reject that warning, my friends. Then the work of the, the angels is this. And it's to, or animated and strengthened by his promises. What does it mean to be animated? That means to be made alive. So God's promises, you have to, you have to know God's promises to be animated by his promises. You got to read God's word to know what he's saying is going to happen and what's not going to happen. We should make the psalmist petition our own. Open down mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. This is, this is what we should be praying for when we're studying the word of God. This is what we are. We are in need of assistance. The Holy Spirit. And angels assist us when we open the Bible. Are you Listen, if if you if you're following what I'm saying, my friends, I, you will see that we this is no ordinary approach. We're not just opening a book. We're having the assistance of the divine ones. Notice this now. Point number six. All that was reviewed. Now we're into point number six. Point number six. Now, I want you to open your Bibles. I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. You see it right there on your screen. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. And now, again, we're, we're receiving instruction from the Bible on how to study. So watch. 
It says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. But why? Why should we do that? Which some professing have erred concerning the faith. So let's read it again. And this is Paul writing to Timothy, giving Timothy an admonition. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Why? Which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Okay, so here's a principle. Avoid fruitless, pointless arguments in regards to scripture. Avoid fruitless, pointless philosophical concepts that men come up with that ultimately lead people away from God. Avoid those things. When you bring those things into the study of scripture, you will inevitably err. Trust me, I, I've sat in classes where it's supposed to be a Bible class and literally it's actually a doubt the Bible class. It's not trust what the Bible says. It's the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are not true. That is not true, my friends. But people teach it in seminaries, in schools, in, in, because they're bringing in the theories of humanity, the thoughts of men. Are you following, my friends? Be careful of false teachers and theories. Let's, let's go a little bit further. Let's go a little bit further. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Watch this. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I want you to look at verse number 16, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And again, Paul is speaking. This is right after he says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. Verse 16 says, but shun profane and vain babblings. Why? What's going to happen if you imbibe profane and vain babblings? What's going to happen? It says, for they will increase unto more, what's it say? Ungodliness. So if you imbibe false teaching, if you sit there and you hear people talk about don't, the Bible can't be trusted, or these are the opinions of men, or this is, and or you're afraid that they'll call you a fundamentalist, whatever it is, if you take that position, my friends, without question, your life will not reflect what heaven desires, which is righteousness. Um, can I say it a different way? Let me say it a different way. There are many, my friends, who are wondering why they are spiritually weak. Why are we spiritually weak? We are spiritually weak because we're not consuming the good stuff. We're not consuming that which will bring life and bring power and bring sustenance. No, we are consuming the theories and ideas of men. And when we do that, my friends, we find ourselves spiritually weak. So when temptation presents itself, Instead of being like Jesus and quoting scripture and having the word of God hid in our hearts and telling the devil to re and rebuking him in the name of Jesus, we are simply falling into sin because we are imbibing other theories and other ideas. Let me say it a different way. Another way. There is a way where we can read our Bibles and then the next minute we're watching something that is anti-God. 
And we think because we read our Bibles, we can imbibe the thing that is anti-God. And what happens is we neutralize the power of God because we are doing opposite of what the scripture says. The Bible tells us, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. Don't set any wicked thing before your eyes. But if you are spiritually strong, I can watch it. I know it's not real. Yeah, okay, watch what happens to you spiritually. And I'm not speaking from theory, my friends. I'm speaking from experience, which I wish I never had. Spiritual strength comes in doing what God says. And what happens is God's biddings are impossible naturally. Naturally, when he says to do something, it's impossible. Like, you can't do it. Live righteously in a wicked and evil world. You can't do that without intentionally and willfully saying, Father, I want to follow your word. Father, I believe your word. Father, I trust your word. And without question, sticking with what the word says. No compromise. No compromise. Because it's in that word, my friends, that keeps us from falling into the temptations and the snares of the enemy. So be careful who you're listening to. Be careful what you're reading. Be careful what you're watching. For what you behold, you become like. Notice this, notice this. I, I want us to go now to Second Peter. Second Peter, go to Second Peter with me. Second Peter, Second Peter. Second uh, Peter chapter two, verses one. Second Peter chapter two, verse one. Hmm. And notice what the Bible says, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says, but there were false prophets. Watch what it says. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. You guys see that? But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, my friends, in future studies, when we're talking about the, the denying the Lord, I, I'm not talking about someone who doesn't name the name of the Lord, because you can know the name of the Lord and deny the Lord. You remember Peter himself? He's the one that denied the Lord. He knew, he, knows, he knew the name of Jesus, right? But he didn't submit himself to what that name meant. Does that make sense? So you can have the name. You can take the name of the Lord in vain. And by taking the name of God in vain, you deny the Lord. When you say you're a Christian, and you lie, and you cuss, and you steal, and you commit adultery, and you bear false witness, and you... And you do these things that are contrary to scripture, you deny the Lord. So you can say, oh, it, uh, let me say it this way. Let me read it again. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, my friends, again, I, we, we should be beyond theory at this point. We, when we talk about the truths of Scripture, 
The reason why these are false teachers, because the teachings that they are bringing do not coincide with scripture or their lines don't coincide with what scripture says as well. And I know that's a strong saying, my friends. I know that's a I know that's a strong saying. And for all of us, we need to come up higher, higher in our experience with God. So avoid false teachers. Avoid it. And I'm going to show you how you can, how, how you can recognize a false teacher in a moment. Second Timothy, go to Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Watch this. Second Timothy chapter four and verse three. Second Timothy chapter four and verse three. Watch what the Bible says. Watch what the Bible says. I'm not saying this the scripture saying it. Second Timothy four and verse three. The Bible says, for the time will come. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they keep to themselves teachers having what, my friends? Itching ears. What do you mean, Andre? What, what do you mean? What is that saying? It's saying sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Do you know uh, there is this, and I'll say it in a, in a way that maybe you can relate to it in a different phraseology. There's this thing called what I consider a microwave religion. And then you have what you call baking. You know, like you put something in the oven and it actually cooks. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it takes time for the, for the, for the, 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 or you, it takes time for, for the components and the ingredients to kind of sit together and come together. And then you have this well done meal, but it takes time. But many Christians want the ready-made, put it in the microwave, pull it out in four minutes or less, done Christianity. My friend, that's not sound doctrine. It takes time. We can't do, everything can't be a joke. Everything can't be a play. Everything can't be a skit. There needs to be time when literally we are quiet and we are sitting and we are struggling and wrestling with what the scripture says. Everything can't be happy-go-lucky. Sound doctrine. Doctrine that makes sure that it rivets us and cuts us to the quick. We need sound doctrine, my friends. Doctrine that rebukes sin. Doctrine that lifts us up. We need that, my friends. We don't need to be fluffy-fluffy right now. No, 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 no. Not right now, not in these last hours of earth's history. Not with all that's transpiring in our world today. We need sound doctrine. But there are many who would rather turn me off, which is fine. They would turn off whomever else is telling them the truth because they would have itching ears. It would be too much for them to bear. It would be something that, that pricks their hearts and they don't want that, don't want that. And my friends, I'm saying they, but at times it's actually come to me, right? Right, personally. Truth has come to my present mind, and I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to obey that. That's too strict for me. I'd rather, I rather not do that. But my friends, if we take that position, we are rejecting what heaven is offering. And if we reject what heaven is offering, we're not appreciating. And if we don't appreciate, the manna disappears. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. If we don't appreciate the teaching, the truth dissipates. And what we used to call truth, we no longer call truth. What we used to say was was righteous, we no longer call righteous because now it cuts against us. We don't want to be cut against. So avoid, avoid teachers who, who, who will give you what you think you want to hear. But you want sound doctrine. We want meat for this time, my friends. We need sound, true doctrine. Notice, I'll read it again. 
Second Timothy four, verse three says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, that means their own desires, shall they heat to themselves teachers having itching ears. Again, the, the, the instruction, the admonition, avoid false teachers. Let's go a little bit further. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four and verse 31. Notice what the Bible says. Ephesians four, verse 31. Now, this is so important. Like this, this is this is actually one, my friends, that if you if you miss this and if you notice that many of the strange teachings that have come in amongst us, it comes from a certain place. And I'm going to show you right here where it comes from. Ephesians chapter four, verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I'll read it again. Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Why, my friends? I'm going to tell you why in a moment. Put it away. Bitterness, anger, strife, malice. When you find these characteristics within your Christian experience or within others that are around you in your Christian experience, you want to reassess if you are really walking in righteousness. Because bitterness and anger and strife and malice is not are not fruits of the spirit. They are components of the flesh, my friends. And, and the true Christian must keep in subjection their flesh by God's spirit. If you go into the study of scripture with these tendencies, your vision of scripture will be skewed. Your understanding of scripture will be in a direction that will hinder your growth and development. I hope you're staying with me. Stay with me. Let's go a little bit further. Hebrews 12, 15. Then I have some things I want to read to you. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 15. Hebrews 12, verse 15. Watch what it says. Looking diligently. So it's talking about examining yourself. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, why would one fail of the grace of God? What, 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 what will happen? Lest any roots of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be what? Defiled. So many are defiled by a root of bitterness. Come on now, stay, stay with me, because I'm about to unlock something that many overlook when it comes to studying the Bible and studying scripture and being at one with God. So bitterness has the ability to defile. And if you are defiled as you enter into your study and you don't acknowledge your defilement and your need, then you will defile your understanding of scripture itself. Hmm. Hmm. You will defile your understanding of scripture itself. Now, let me read it to you. I read it to you from scripture. Now, I'm going to read it to you um, from the pen of inspiration. One of my favorite um, from the prophetess here. 
This is from Councils to Sabbath School Workers, page 38, paragraph 2. Watch this. Actually, this it says, let not man's assertion be considered. Interesting. Let not man's assertion be considered as truth when they are contrary to the word of God. You guys see that? Let not man's assertion be considered as truth when it's contrary to the word of God. The Lord God, the creator of heaven and the heavens and the earth, the source of all wisdom, is second to none. He's second to none. Now, before let me let me stop you for a moment. Let me stop this for a moment. Now, for a moment, my friends, I, I want you to think. There is this, there is this danger. And I do a, I do a whole study on, on, on some of these issues, but there's there's this danger of pride. Whether it be with me, whether it be with any other person that, that holds the word of God, that teaches the word of God, that has a following, pride. Pride is a major problem. And so when pride rises up, when the scriptures plainly say one thing, and you have pride in another place, then you will stick with what you think because pride is there. Now, pride is the spawn of the devil. It is, it is his seed. So pride and arrogancy cannot enter into Bible study, my friends. There must be a humility. Again, I will repeat it. You must come as a child because when you come as a child, then God can teach and he can instruct. And many, my friends, have had pride. And in having pride, they err in their understanding of scripture. So let's go back. So watch this. And I'm going to read quite a few things here to you because at the end of the day, these are admonitions. Let not men's assertions be considered as truth when they are contrary to the word of God. The Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the source of all wisdom is second to none. Watch this. But those supposed great authors who give to our schools their textbooks for study are received and glorified even though they have, what's it say? No vital connection with God. By such study, man has been led away from God into forbidden paths. Minds have been wearied to death through unnecessary work in trying to obtain that which is to them as the knowledge which Adam and Eve disobeyed God in obtaining. Man, those are strong words. So here it is. God's word is supreme. Spend time in this book. Go deep in this book. But then folks will have us studying this person and this person and that idea and that idea. And there's nothing wrong with studying this and that idea. But that seems to take precedent over the study of the text itself. And again, avoid false teachers. That's the whole idea. Avoid false teachers. Notice it goes on to say. Goes on to say. If Adam and Eve had never touched the tree of the knowledge. They would have never been where the Lord could have. They would have. They would have been where the Lord could impart to them knowledge from his word. 
knowledge which would not have had to be left behind with the things of this world, but which they could carry with them into the paradise of God. But today, young men and women spend years and years in acquiring an education which is but wood and stubble to be consumed in the last great conflagration. Many spend years of their life in the study of books, obtaining an education that will die with them. Mercy, my friends. What is the most important study? What, what, what should consume our minds? Some of, us, we, some of us study the news more than we study our Bibles. Some of us study the Pope more than we study our Bibles. Some of us study our friends and our family. Some of us study our music. Some of us study everything else but the Bible and Jesus. It is, you know, in my heart, my friends, <laughs> in my heart, I'm in my heart, I'm crying, like, because I know the reality of where we are as a people, as a church. We have become arrogant as a people, prideful as a people, because we think we know and we don't know. We think we understand and we don't understand. There is another level in our Christian walk where we need to be and we're not there because we neglect this book. We neglect the time to spend here. This book, the word of God. Let's go a little further. Let's go a little further. Now, and mind you, my friends, when we're talking about this, I'm not simply talking about people studying theology. This is anything that you study in life. All that stuff's gonna be left behind if it is not couched in the word of God. Upon such an education, God places no value. What, what education? It, it doesn't matter what the education is. A study of books, whatever the subject matter is, outside of God, that, that, that has no eternal principles in it, it's not worth our time. This supposed wisdom gained from the study of different authors has excluded and lessened the brightness of the value of the word of God. Many students have left school unable to receive the word of God. Why? with reverence and, re and respect that they gave it before they entered. Their faith eclipsed in the effort to excel in various studies. You send your kids to school to learn life. They come out of the school not believing in God. Why? What happened? Why is it that our, if they go to our school that they leave our school not believing? It's because the Bible is not the center of education. It is not the focus of the education. The, the degree is the focus. The job in the future is the focus. Everything else is the focus, but Jesus himself. So I plead with you, my friends. I plead with you. I beg of you. Make the Bible your counsel. Put the Bible on in your car versus the news, right? The news is catching up with the scriptures already said. Pestilence is going to be in the land. We know the coronavirus is going to be here before it got here. The Spanish flu came before this and other things came before this. The Bible already said these are the beginning of sorrows, not the end of sorrows. The Bible is telling us ahead of time, put the Bible in your car, put the majority of your time in the word of God 
The Bible has not been made a standard matter in their education, but books mixed with fidelity and propagating unsound theories have been placed before them. Avoid the false teachers. Avoid false teachers. Let's go a little further. A little bit further with this one. I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time with this one because I wanted to make sure. Watch this. This is from the book Fundamentals of Education, page 447, paragraph one. It says, there is nothing so ennobling and invigorating as a study of the great things which concern our eternal life. Now, brother, you, you're probably asking me, Brother Waller, why are we spending so much time reading about this before we actually study the book? The reason why I'm spending so much time here is because I want you to have the right mindset when we begin to open the Bible and begin to unlock Bible prophecy. If we don't have the right mindset, we're going to miss it. So watch what is being promised to us. Nothing, there is nothing so ennobling and invigorating as a study of the great things which concern our eternal life. Let students seek to grasp these God-given truths. Let them seek to measure these precious things and their minds will expand and grow in the effort. But a mind crowded with a mass of matter, but a, but a mind crowded with a mass of matter it will never be able to use is a mind dwarfed and enfeebled because only put to the task of dealing with commonplace material. It has not been put to the task of considering the high, elevated disclosures coming from God. So when we study the Bible, our minds begin to grow. Our intellect begins to expand. Our, 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 our biblical understanding begins to compound upon itself. But if we're focusing on the commonalities of life, that's our main thought, then our minds are going to be dwarfed. Our intellect is going to be feeble. Be careful of false teachers. Last point, last, last quotation on this one. This comes from Testimonies to Ministers, page 112, paragraph one. God's spirit has illuminated every page of Holy Writ, but there are those upon whom it makes little impression. Why? Because it is imperfectly understood. When the shaking comes, now watch this. When the shaking comes by the introduction of false theories, these surface readers, what kind of readers, my friends? Surface readers anchored nowhere are like shifting sand. They slide into any position to suit the tenor of their feelings of, what's it say? Bitterness, mercy. So their feelings of bitterness, so their feelings of bitterness will, will, will decide what position they take. Daniel, Daniel and Revelation must be studied, as well as the other prophecies of the Old and New Testament. Let there be light. Yes, light in your dwellings. For this we need to pray. The Holy Spirit shining upon the sacred page will open our understanding that we may know what is truth. So remember I share with you, in fact, let me let me go back for a moment. Remember, remember I share with you and I say, look, 
Point number six. Point number six. Avoid false teachers, theories, bitterness. Avoid these things. Because if you take these things in, it will skew your understanding. It will skew your mind. It will cause you to be without sound doctrine. And you'll be able to be driven off into whatever direction that the enemy would have you go in. Be careful of what you study. Be careful of who you listen to. Be careful of what you watch. For those seeds will have will be made manifest by faith or by or by fear. One of the two, my friends. One of the two. All right. So let's 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 double back. Point number seven. That was point number six. All right. Point number seven. Meditation. Now, when we talk about meditation, we're not talking about going, um, none of that. That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about meditation, my friends, we're talking about an in intelligent, clear-minded thinking in regards to scripture. Notice what the Bible says in Daniel 9, 3. Daniel 9, verse 3. Daniel 9, 3 says, I, and I set my face unto the Lord to seek by, what to say? Prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel put his mind, his body, his soul into understanding what he did not understand. This is the prophet doing this. Set his mind to understand. First Timothy chapter Four, First Timothy chapter four. Notice what the Bible says in First Timothy chapter four. Watch this. First Timothy chapter four, and it looks like I put here the whole chapter, but I don't want to do that. First uh, Timothy chapter four. We'll just read a few of these passages. It says, First Timothy chapter four, verse one says, "Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times." Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of what, my friends? Of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience, what's it say? Seared with a hot iron. Now, why is that important? If your conscience is seared, that means that which was here is gone. So, if we're listening to false teachings, false, false instruction, then ultimately in the last days, it will do something to, to our minds. The truth will be eliminated. Have you ever seen someone, and listen, this is just a question you can answer on yourself, for yourself. Have you ever seen someone who you knew they knew the truth? Like you, like they used to preach it, they used to teach it, they were the most enthusiastic about it. And then a few years later you see them and it's as if they had no concept of what truth was. What happened? Their conscience was seared because they began to imbibe false teaching, false doctrine. They started allowing the things of this world to take things away from them, and they could not and, and would not have those truths stable in their minds. So they end up leaving. They end up calling truth error and error truth. That happens. Joshua 1.8. Watch this. Joshua. The book of Joshua. Joshua Judges. Joshua. One eight. Watch what the Bible says. Talk about meditation. Daniel's contemplating the prophecies, having his mind set on those prophecies. 
uh, Joshua 1 and verse 8, the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. So when it talks about out of thy mouth, it's saying, Thy word have I hid in my heart. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You follow the idea? So the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein, how often? Day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. So think. When someone meditates, their mind should not be empty. This meditation is on the law of God. It's on God's word. So when you're meditating, you're thinking and contemplating and musing on scripture. Your mind is full of the word of God. You're taking the word and you're thinking about the word until that word becomes a part of who you are. Psalms 1 verse 2. Psalms 1 in verse 2, watch what the Bible says. In fact, let's read verse 1 and 2. Psalms 1, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Do you see it? The law is what one meditates on, the character of God, the person of God. You are thinking and you're beholding and you're watching and letting that word become a part of who you are. Who you are. So number six was avoid false teachers, false theories, bitterness. Number seven, meditate. Meditate on what? God's law. God's word, his person. When you do this, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. But let's take it a step further. Psalms 119, 119, 48. Psalms 119, verse 48. The Bible says, My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. Come on now. The meditation is on God's word. And I want you to remember, it said in, in, in Psalms 1 verse 2, it says they meditate day and night. That means it's a continual thought. It's a continual process of beholding and saying, how does God's law apply to my family? How does God's law apply to my finances? How does God's law apply to my health? How does God's law apply to me? And as you meditate, as you think, the Holy Spirit begins to then show you how it works. He shows you how it applies in science, how it applies in health, how it applies in your finances. God's law meditated upon allows for him to write his law where, my friends? In your heart. So when we meditate, we're not emptying our brain. We're not doing it some, some mantra. We are simply taking God's word and we're thinking about God's word and we're talking to God and we're communing with God in meditating on his word. Let me, let me show you a quotation. I want, to, want you to see this. This is from um, well, uh, W.M. Herald, October 26, 1904. It says, we should open the scriptures with reference and never, listen to this, 
and never allow one expression of lightness and trifling to escape our lips when quoting scripture. Y'all hear that? No, we shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a joke when I open the Bible. It's not a funny thing when I quote a scripture. When we open the scripture, it is open with reverence. Never allow one expression of lightness and trifling to escape our lips when quoting scripture. As we take our Bible into our hands, listen to this. Let us remember that we are on, what's it say, my friends? Holy ground. We are on holy ground. Father, I just want to pause for a moment. I want to pray. Father, I just ask forgiveness. I'm asking for forgiveness for us as a people, for myself, for not reverencing you and your word as it should have been reverenced. My mind often goes to Moses as he's at the burning bush and you tell him to take his shoes off his feet because he's standing in the presence of the most high. Forgive us for taking this word so glibly. As we take our Bibles into our hands, let us remember that we are on holy ground. Holy ground. Uh, I, it's powerful, my friends. And every time I read stuff like this, it makes me want to be more, more sincere in my walk. Notice this one. There is little benefit derived from hasty reading of the scriptures. One may read the whole Bible through and yet fail to see its beauty or comprehend its deep hidden meaning. One passage studied until its significance is clear to the mind and its relation to the plan of salvation is evident, is of more value than the perusal of many chapters with no definite purpose in view and no positive instruction gained. Again, this is, is repeat, repeating. But repetition is the mother of learning. Amen. So meditate. When you're meditating, you're taking it reverently. You're thinking, you're holding the, the verses clear and close to your heart. You're, you're, you're treasuring every moment with it. We're going to need it, my friends. I'm telling you, we're going to need it. Soon we're going to need it. We're going to need it. Point number eight. Point number eight. Let's go to point number eight. So point number six was avoid false teachers and, and false theories and, 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 and bitterness in our, in our own spirit. Point number seven was meditate, think on the word of God. Let it become a part of who we are. Point number eight, point number eight, find Jesus. Oh, we, my friends, many have lost themselves in study of scriptures because they weren't finding Jesus. They were finding beast and said, they weren't finding Jesus. They were finding a crisis instead. Point number eight, find Jesus. Go to John, John chapter five. John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5 and verse 39. John chapter 5 and verse 39. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, search the scriptures. And now if you have a Bible, your Bible should have the letters in red, right? Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. 
and they are they which testify of me. Who is Jesus speaking to? Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. And he literally, he's telling them, you search the scriptures and you read them back and forth. Do you know that these religious leaders had memorized the whole Old Testament? They're, they had memorized the whole Old Testament they had, and the Torah. They had that locked down. They studied the scriptures. But their study of the scriptures was absent of the object of the scriptures. The study of the scriptures, their study, their deep, thorough study was absent of the object. What is the object of Bible study? Who is the object of our affection? Jesus is. So Jesus says to them, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. You're looking to live forever, but you're not looking for the person who is forever. They are they which testify of me. Jesus rebukes these scholars because the scholars had lost sight of Jesus. Matthew chapter 20, 21. Matthew chapter 21. Go a little further with me. Matthew 21. Watch what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 21. We're looking at verse 42. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 42. Watch it. Jesus saith unto them, did ye never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to, what's it say, my friend? Powder. No, look at verse 45. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Hmm. What's he saying? The stone with the builders rejected is saying has now become the head of the corner. These men rejected Christ, even though their whole religion was around Christ. Do you know how scary that is? Do you know that many people went to church today or no, maybe they didn't go to church. They were online today. <laughs> right. And they're they're literally involved in ministry. But the whole time they're involved in ministry, Jesus is absent from said ministry. Why? Because they weren't looking for Jesus. They're looking for an event, looking to be entertained. Listen, my friends, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something. The only thing that has kept me in this church, the only thing, my favorite quotation as the student of the Bible beholds the Redeemer. There's awakened in the soul the mysterious power of faith, adoration, and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed. The only reason why I'm in this church, my friends, because my gaze has found Jesus. If I look at church people, I'm out. Y'all not hear nothing I'm saying. Are you hear what I'm saying? If I look at myself, I'm out. 
My eyes must be fixed on the man Jesus. So when you study your Bible, you need to look for Jesus. You look for Jesus in the Revelation. You look for Jesus in the Daniel. You look for Jesus in Zedekiah and Zechariah. Zedekiah is not a book. Zechariah and Nehemiah and Ezra. You know, you look for him in these passages, my friends. Look for Jesus. Or you will end up being religious without Jesus. And religious people are not going to heaven. Only saved people are going. Luke, Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, look at verse 27. Luke 24, oh, I love this passage. Looking at verse 27. Now, this is Jesus as he's been, he's raised from the dead. He's on the road with these, these, uh, to a, from, from Emmaus, and he's met the disciples on the road. And this is what it says in Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus meets these two guys. They're walking on the road. They don't know it's him. He begins at Moses. He breaks down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then he goes through all the prophets of the Old Testament, and he walks through, and he begins to teach in regards to himself. Watch this, verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Verse 45. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. <laughs> so powerful. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And, he, and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Okay, just in case you missed it, I'm going to say it. Jesus had a Bible study. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't just sit there and of himself just start talking. Like he could have, because he's the word of God, right? Jesus is the word made flesh. He could have literally just said a bunch of truth from himself. But Jesus didn't do that. He actually quoted from scripture. He began in Moses and he walked through scripture. Man, I, I pray often, Father, I would like to know the Bible study that Jesus gave to his disciples upon his resurrection. I would love to know how he broke it down. And there was no New Testament. He did that from Genesis and he went all the way to Malachi, breaking down how his life was found in scripture. If Jesus used the word of God, why aren't we using the word of God? If Jesus quotes the Bible, why don't we hide the Bible so that we Hide it in our hearts that we can quote the Bible. Are you following what I'm saying?
So when you're studying, you need to find Jesus. Look for Jesus. Jesus, where are you? And be patient. You may not see him right away. The scales may be over your eyes intentionally. He may want you not to know, and he may want you to exercise your faith as you patiently and diligently approach the scripture with a reverence, my friends. But be patient. I promise you, he will reveal himself. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with how much of your heart, my friends? If you search for me with all your heart. All your heart. We're talking about how to study the Bible. We're talking about the, the approach of studying scripture. Notice, my friends, I have literally not spent much time at all on word by word study or any of that or Hebrew or Greek because it's about our approach spiritually first. First. Let's go a little bit further. Let's go further. I want to read this to you and you're, you're going to see why it's so important, so powerful that we have the word finding Jesus in scripture. The central theme of the Bible, the theme about which every other in the whole book clusters. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Let me see something real quick before I go there. Now my friends, listen, there are so many ways where Especially in, in my Christian walk, there are so many times when people begin to want to show something new. They want to show something exciting. They want to they want to be the first one to report with the news reports. You follow? Like, so the 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 CNN puts out the virus has hit this many people. And then somebody wants to get up and then show from the news article the virus has hit so many people. The news is history. The Bible tells you what's going to happen in advance. The Bible also tells you they follow the lamb whithersoever he goes. It's your focus on Christ is what's going to get us through this crisis. It's your focus on the person of Jesus that's going to make you ready to stand when all the world goes wrong. I pause to tell you this because it, it is so important that you make sure that Christ is the reason why you're studying your Bible. Not fear of the last days. Not afraid of what's about to happen in this world, but your love for him. So let's go. Let's go. So notice this. The central theme of the Bible, the theme about which all every other in the whole book clusters is the redemption plan. It's the redemption plan. The restoration in the human soul of the image of God. From the first intimation of hope in the sentence pronounced in Eden to the last glorious promise of the revelation, they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. The burden of every book. How many books? Every book. And every passage of the Bible. How many passages of the Bible? Every passage of the Bible. Is the unfolding of this wondrous theme. Man's uplifting. The power of God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You got it? Redemption plan. Every passage is the unfolding of this plan. 
I need to see Jesus in the unfolding of this plan. Whether it's him orchestrating what's being unfolded or whether it's a revelation of his person and character, I'm looking for him in this plan. I'm looking for Jesus. He is everything to us, my friends. He is everything to us. Notice this. Testimonies, page 77, paragraph 1. The gospel is the sanctifying influence in our world. Hmm. Its influence upon hearts will bring harmony. The standard of truth is to be uplifted and the atonement of Christ presented as the grand central theme for consideration. Mercy. The standard and the atonement of Christ is to be presented as the grand central theme. We would see Jesus. Listen, I'm begging God to show me more of Jesus because the world loves to pull at me. I know it loves to pull at my home. I know it loves to pull at you, but I want the fresh revelation of Jesus, my friends, for this gospel is a sanctifying influence in this wicked world. It's powerful, brothers and sisters. It's powerful. Let me make sure of something else here. I want to make sure that I'm showing you the right thing. Yes. All right. Very good. Let me take you there. Let me show you this. Next, point number nine. Point number nine. And time is gone already. I can't believe it's already eight o'clock. And I know you guys probably have things you want to do tonight, but hopefully we'll just keep, we're just going to keep grinding until we get to number 11. And by God's grace, you can go back and you can listen to this again. You can pull your Bibles out on your own. You can reread these things and see whether or not what I'm saying is true. Uh, point number nine, be the friend of God, the servant of God. Now, again, we're talking about how to study the Bible. I study the scriptures from the position of God is my friend. And I'm going to show you why that becomes so important. Genesis chapter 18. Go to Genesis chapter 18. Watch this. Genesis chapter 18. And you're going to hear me talk about this story again because it's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Genesis chapter 18, beginning at verse 16. And this is after uh, Jesus and his two angels have come to visit Abraham. At this time, he's called Abraham and his wife is Sarah. And of course, Abraham and Sarah cannot have a child at this juncture. And so these visitors from heaven are, are with them. Now watch this. Watch this. Um, all right, here we go. Watch this. It says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 16 through 19. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, watch this. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Okay, watch this. 
understand the heart of God, because what's happening right, right here is a visual interaction where we can see how God is dealing with humanity and his great love for Abraham. And the, watch, I'm going to read it one more time. And the Lord said, verse 17, so verse 17, God is speaking. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So he knows, the Lord says, I can't hide from my man. <laughs> I have such a relationship with my guy, I can't hide from him what's about to happen. There, I can't keep a secret from him. The Bible says, surely the Lord God, Amos 3 verse, verse 7 says, surely the Lord God will do nothing unless he reveals it to his, his, his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. So here God is in interaction with his servant, Abraham. God's about to leave and he's like, ah, oh, I can't leave. Yo, Abraham, I got something to tell you, man. God's about to make a move. And God says, Abraham, I got to tell you something. I'm about to make a move. God couldn't in, in his spirit, in his own being, he didn't feel right keeping a secret from his friend. Especially when it had such great import. So he says, I can't, I can't, I can't keep it from you. Now watch this. Why can't I keep it from you? Verse 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now that verse right there is loaded. Just know that that verse is prophesying the Messiah coming, okay? But verse 19 says this, for I know him. Come on now, y'all not hearing this. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So God says, I know Abraham that he's going to do what I say. And I know that he's not only going to do what I say, but he's going to teach his family what is the right thing to do. And because he's going to teach his family and because he's going to instruct them in the way of righteousness, I can't keep secrets from Abraham. Mercy, my friends. I can't keep secrets from Abraham because I know that Abraham is going to teach and he's going to instruct. I can trust Abraham with my secrets. God's not going to do anything unless he reveals it first to his servants, the prophets. Now, watch this. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, chapter 20 and verse 7. Second Chronicles. Chapter 20 and verse 7. Notice how the Bible describes Abraham. Okay, watch this. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 7. Remember, point number 9, you are to become the friend of God, the servant of God. Watch this. Second Chronicles 20, verse 7. Art now, art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people, Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend? forever. Wait, you guys get that? Notice what the Bible calls Abraham. The Bible calls Abraham God's friend forever. Genesis 18, God says, I can't go unless I tell my man what's going on. Do you realize, my friends, that God desires friendship and he has a problem because they're not, he doesn't have that many friends. 
I know what that's like. I know what it's like to, to not have many friends. Because there's there's a there's a vulnerability that comes with friendship. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And Jesus does not have a lot of friends. In fact, when he talks about his friends, he talks about them wounding him in the house of his friends. Yeah. So friendship with God is a key in Bible study because God will reveal. Please know that the Bible is not gained or knowledge of the Bible is not simply gained because you study it. Knowledge of the Bible is revealed because there's a fellowship, a communion. The most high is the one that reveals. Notice this. There, there, there are two, two. The books of Daniel and Revelation are the books that we're going to be studying, right? Those are the books that we're going to be delving deeply into in the coming days and the weeks and so forth and so on. But watch this. Watch this. I'm going to show you something about God and his and his these guys, John and Daniel. Go to Daniel 9. Go to Daniel 9. Watch this. 9.20. Daniel chapter 9, <clears throat> verse number 20. And this is after Daniel was prayed. So watch what happens. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision of the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me, and he informed me and talk with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Okay? Watch this. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art, what's it say? Thou art greatly beloved. Before the angel begins to express prophecy, the angel tells Daniel his position in regards to God and him. And the angel says, Daniel, you are greatly beloved. I can imagine in heaven, God must have been bragging about Daniel. Huh? <laughs> God must have been like, man, my, my man, Daniel, I can trust Daniel. You see how Daniel was faithful in, the, in this place? And you see how Daniel was faithful here? I love Daniel. You see, I, and, and Daniel is in communion and fellowship Daniel, you are greatly beloved. Now, understand the matter and consider the vision. It is in this fellowship and friendship that God now begins to reveal. Are you following, my friends? It is in this fellowship and in this friendship that God begins to reveal. Again, Daniel chapter 10, verses 18 to 20. The Bible says, 18 to 21. The Bible says in Daniel 10, verse 18, then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man. And he strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia? And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall, shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but who? Michael, your prince. Notice 
Michael, your prince. <laughs> God, again, communicating to Daniel his position of favor and love. So when we're studying Bible prophecy, my friends, this position of favor and love that's there, that position is important. It's important. So go into your study, trusting and believing that you are greatly beloved. John chapter 13, verse 23. John 13, 23. I think we're going to end up stopping because this is actually going pretty long. So we're going to probably end these next points, next point 10 and 11 tomorrow with our guest. All right. But point number nine, watch this. In John chapter 13, verse 23, the Bible says, John chapter 13, verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now who's the disciple that was laying on Jesus' bosom who Jesus loved? Who, who, what's the name of that disciple? It's talking about John. This is the same John that wrote the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Notice what the Bible says. John, Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The Bible says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant who? John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. So bear this in mind. Bear this record in mind. The book of Daniel was written by someone who was loved of God. And that declaration of love was given to him before he wrote the book, before he came to an understanding of that passage of scripture. John is called the, John, the disciple who Jesus loved. There is a relationship of friendship that comes in, my friends, when approaching scripture. So can you think of this? Think of this. When you and I are, are approaching the word of God, and we know that we are greatly loved, then when we look at Bible prophecy and it looks scary, guess what? <laughs> we are greatly beloved. The Most High is not going to leave us in a situation that's going to leave us in a bad place. Notice this. These are my last couple of quotes, and then I'm going to let you go. Notice this. It says, in the records of Genesis, we see the patriarch at the hot summer noontide resting in his tent door under the shadow of the oaks of Mamre. Three travelers are passing near. They make no appeal for hospitality, solicit no favor, but Abraham does not permit them to go on their way unrefreshed. He is a man full of years, a man of dignity and wealth, one highly honored and accustomed to command. Yet on seeing these strangers, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Addressing the leader, he said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Notice. With his own hands, he brought water that they might wash the dust of travel from their feet. He himself selected their food while they were at rest under the cooling shade. Sarah, his wife, made ready for their entertainment, and Abraham stood respectfully beside them while they partook of his hospitality. This kindness he showed them simply as wayfarers, passing strangers, who might never come his way again. But the entertainment over, his guests stood revealed. He had ministered not only to heavenly angels, but 
to their glorious commander, his creator, redeemer, and king. And to Abraham, watch this, my friend. And to Abraham, the councils of heaven were opened and he was called, what was he called, my friend? He was called the friend of God. Do you see that? Here, he ministers with hospitality. This reminds me of Isaiah 58. It seems to me, my friends, that those who have a servant's heart, those who have a servant's heart will find themselves recipients of the secrets of the Most High because they reflect his spirit. They reflect his character. Powerful. The privilege granted to Abraham. Now, this I don't want you to miss this. The privilege granted Abraham and Lot is not denied to us by showing hospitality to God's children. We too may receive his angels into our dwelling. Even in our day, watch this. Even in our day, angels in human form enter the homes of men and are entertained by them. Mercy. And Christians who live in the light of God's countenance are always accompanied by unseen angels. And these holy beings leave behind them a blessing in our homes. Amen. Amen. Now, my friends, we're going to stop here. We're going to stop here. Uh, we've we've covered quite a bit. We'll cover point nine tomorrow. I have a special guest coming tomorrow. Uh, please, you don't want to miss it. 6.30, we're going to be delving even further. So far, I've given you nine principles of how to study the Bible. We've used the Bible. We've used inspiration to teach us how to study. Our approach, our approach is with reverence. Our approach is, is with respect. Our approach is with diligence. We compare scripture with scripture. We're being prayerful. We're trusting God's Holy Spirit to guide and to teach us. We're looking for Jesus in all of the passages. We're looking for the revelation of the plan of salvation as we're opening the Bible. And we're not just looking for ideas to argue, but we're looking at verses and learning how to apply that verse to ourselves. That verse to me. My friends, I think we could do this. I think at the end of the day, we all want to be friends of God. And God is offering that friendship to us tonight. He's offering that friendship to us tonight. So my challenge to you, my encouragement to you is, as you open your Bibles, as you're prayerfully looking into the word of God, I ask you to ask Jesus and his holy angels and the Holy Spirit to be the host of your Bible study, to be the host of your fellowship. And as you enter into that fellowship, as you're in communion with him, ask him to open and remove the scales from your eyes that you can see Jesus and you can see the plan of salvation and you can be saved and your family can be saved as you are willing to follow his instruction with an open heart, with an open heart. Well, my friends, I, I don't want to thank you for taking the time to be with me this evening. We're on a journey. Uh, tomorrow night, I do have a guest coming on on Monday night at 6.30. 
We're going to be dealing with gospelpreneurship, and we're going to do it from an interesting perspective. I'm going to be using the book Education very, very thoroughly. We're going to see what God intended for us as a people because we need to understand it as we're getting into this final crisis. As a people, we are not ready for what is happening. We are we are reacting instead of being proactive. And so on two, on on Monday night, we'll be dealing with that. On Tuesday night, we'll be dealing with relationships, husbands, wives, parents, children. Uh, we're going to begin that process. I have several guests lined up into the future in regards to that. And then on Wednesday night, we're going to be dealing with Bible prophecy. And we're going to start in the book of Daniel on Wednesday, on Wednesday night. My friends, there's so much that we have planned. I want you to pray for us. This is, this is, I'm committed to this process until I can't do it anymore. And I just want the word to get out there. And I would encourage you to share this path, these, these, these videos with other people, share the registration with other people, the handouts that I give you, give them to other people, encourage others to start studying their Bibles, coming together and praying more and more and more because we're so close. And I'm saying we're so close, not based on what I see out there in the world, but what I know God is doing in the hearts of his children and in the hearts of his people. So again, I just want to thank you for spending time with me. Uh, and if you have any questions, feel free to shoot them into the box and I will look at them. And next time we come together, we'll seek to answer them. Um, God bless you. Please invite others, share this with others. Our Lord is coming and we don't have any time to lose. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the time that we've had to spend together. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity of opening your word. Help us to treasure these moments. For we will not always have them like this. Teach us to measure our days. Teach us how to hide your word in our hearts. And speak to us, Father, that we will walk in the way of righteousness, even in this wicked, evil, crazy world. We love you, Lord. We ask that you teach us to love you more. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. Again, tomorrow, 630. Again, if you have any questions, please put them in the box. I will seek to look at them and answer them as we go into our next session. God bless you. God bless you. And Maranatha.